as we've been working through these parables of Jesus, we see how he continually uses them to reach the people in his world, in his culture. These everyday stories that he told with deeper spiritual truths that were designed to make sense to those in his world and to lead them into greater understanding in their spiritual lives. In that sense, we can also say these stories, because they created such understanding, led to some friction in the spiritual climate, the spiritual leadership of Israel. Namely with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus told these stories often in their presence, particularly in the latter part of his ministry. And he called them out with what he taught in these stories, who he chose as the characters in the stories, the, the, the principles and values he taught in the story. And they were designed to steer the people away from the false teaching and false humility of these leaders and back towards the kingdom of God, the very kingdom of redemption that Jesus would solidify at the cross of Calvary. So while the people were moved and drawn in by the stories, you can imagine that the Pharisees did not like these stories at all. In several of the parables, including the one we're going to look at today, Jesus goes as far as to call them out directly and uses this parable to teach a kingdom value. We might even say the kingdom value for us as believers. And that is spiritual authority. The purpose, the direction of your life is determined by the authority that you follow. You may think to yourself, I don't even have an authority. I don't follow any authority. Whether you realize it, whether any of us recognize it or not, we all find and seek authority in something. And that authority, it gives us a trajectory in our lives, a purpose, a direction. And in this parable today, we're going to see that the leaders, they come to Jesus and they challenge him on the cultural and theological, the, the all around, the encompassing details of these stories he taught because they challenged Jesus's spiritual authority. And they're going to ask him about that. They're going to challenge him. Earlier in Matthew 21, they begin this challenge about authority with Jesus. Who was he to teach and interpret the Old Testament the way that he was doing? And Jesus, he goes right back after them. And as these, these religious leaders, they come and challenge him. They challenge him. They say, what is this spiritual authority that you have. And remember, that authority, it's from what we derive all of our direction, all of our purpose. What we believe matters. Who we follow, it matters. And whether we recognize it or not, we all believe certain things and we're all following someone or some idea or some direction in our lives. Oftentimes, I think in our world today, we just fail to recognize it. So earlier in this passage, in this chapter, rather, Matthew 21 and verse 23, the leaders come to Jesus publicly and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And now here, Jesus turns the tables on them because he knows they're trying to get him to declare himself to be divine, to be the second part of the Trinity, the Son of God. And yet Jesus knows this is not yet the time for him to do that. So instead of responding to their trap, he actually sets one of his own. And he takes them to task and he asks them a question in response. He wants them to go on the record as to the authority of John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was very popular among the people. 
And Jesus has turned the tables on them because he wants them to tell about, to talk about John's authority. And since John was a prophet, in fact, the last true prophet of Israel who told everyone to repent and make straight their paths and follow the authority of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus is challenging them to go on the record. But you see, the Pharisees, they did not believe in John, and they didn't believe in the testimony that he had given as to Jesus being the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And so if they said they believed in John's authority and that he was a prophet, they, they should have believed in Jesus. And if they say that John was not a prophet, well, now they're going to lose even more credibility with the people around them. Credibility they were already losing to Jesus as he told these parables. They were really stuck. And so they come to Jesus in Matthew 21, 27, right before today's passage, and they, they punt. They look at Jesus and they say, we don't know. They just refuse to go on the record publicly as to what they believe. They didn't believe in John. They didn't believe in Jesus. And they didn't want the people to be even more upset with them. Why lose more credibility? Why be truthful? So rather than lie, they simply say, we're not sure. We're not sure. And yet Jesus doesn't let this go. He confronts them directly in the parable we will read today in Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, and actually in the two parables that come after it in Matthew 21. In all three of these parables, towards the latter half of Matthew 21 forward, Jesus directly confronts the Pharisees. So let's open up in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32 today, and read about the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he said, but he did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax and collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your mind then and believe him. This is God's holy word. Now, if we also cross-reference this with Mark's account of the same story, we can see this likely took place on Tuesday of the Passion Week of Jesus as he enters in Jerusalem for that final week of ministry and honestly of confrontation before the shadow of the cross falls upon him. And for the Pharisees or other teachers to come challenge a teacher like Jesus, for them to do that in public would not be unusual in that culture. They would expect that to happen. And the people, they would have been enthralled. They would have come and surrounded them. And this is kind of like a a theological rap battle or something like that. They're out in the street and they're going to settle who the king is, who the greatest is, and that's what they're going to do here. The Pharisees obviously hope to trap Jesus and discredit him. Jesus, of course, had come back and already challenged them to get on the record about what they believed regarding his cousin, John the Baptist. It was very interesting. And so Jesus uses this situation to draw them in and to get them to reveal the depth of of their heart 
One last reminder to them and to Jesus' students, his disciples, as to who he is. And in fact, that Jesus is the one with authority and all that he offers that will be revealed later at the cross of Calvary. So in the three parables in this chapter, this being the first one, Jesus is going to go right after them. And in short, Jesus starts off by warning them and warning all of us that we have responsibility in our spiritual lives, who we follow, what we believe. We bear responsibility in our spiritual lives. This is all over God's word. And Jesus has been telling the crowds this in all these stories and all the teachings he has done. Their responsibility to know who God is, to know who the Christ is, to repent, to turn away from sin before it ruins us, before it ruins our lives and not just our eternal life, but even our life and our relationships now. Now think about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that we looked at just a few weeks ago, where the rich man, even in hell, is trying to order Lazarus and Abraham around. Jesus is boldly telling the people and those religious leaders that what they are doing, the direction they're going, the people following the religious leaders and the religious leaders themselves, the path they're on, the direction they're going, the, the spiritual direction, the trajectory they're on, it's not the right one. Jesus is telling them plainly, you have a responsibility here and you're not going the right way. Now, the religious leaders, they talk a, a good game and they know all the things that they can do and how they can dress and how they can walk. And But Jesus says that's not enough. And as he sees the shadow of the cross fall upon his own ministry, Jesus asks them and asks all of us today in verse 28, what do you think? We have responsibility. That's what Jesus is clearly indicating. He has a response in mind for them. He wants them to respond. He wants them to repent. And he's saying to those religious authorities, not so fast. You don't get away with a non-answer. To you and to all of you listening and to all of us hearing this parable today, what do you think? That's what Jesus is saying. He's telling them that in his spiritual authority, we need to recognize who he is, who John the Baptist proclaimed him to be. The one and only Messiah sent from God, the only one in whom we find life and redemption and life now and eternal life yet to come. That's who Jesus is. You can only find hope in this life. You can only find what you're looking for if you trust in Jesus Christ for your everything. And here, everything means everything. When Jesus says, what do you think? He's saying, as he was often saying to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Everything is derived in our lives from how we answer that question. What will happen in our life trajectory, spiritually, but in our character, in our relationships, in our marriage, even the practical and everyday things of our lives, we don't recognize how that spiritual authority and what we place in spiritual authority, how that affects who we place in spiritual authority, how it affects our lives, every aspect of our lives, our marriage, our family, our work, our thoughts, our fears. All of that is meant to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. And he's here, Jesus is here challenging the religious leaders and all of us with this question. 
Who do you say I am? What do you think? And how we answer it is deeper than just, will you go to heaven someday? This affects our lives in the here and now and today. In these difficult times we're experiencing in our world in the midst of COVID-19, all the social discord in the world around us, we're all asking these questions. What matters? What do we place in authority? From what source do we draw our truth, our direction, our foundation, spiritually, emotionally, relationally? In all those relationships, where do we draw from? What well do we draw out of for those things in our lives about what truly matters? To answer all those questions about faith and life. Do we get those from our Savior? Do we get those from God's teaching, from his word? Jesus here is setting the stage for the Pharisees and the crowds for all of us to have an eternal perspective and recognize what truly matters. If we look here in verse 31, Jesus is calling us out of the noise of now into that eternal perspective. Look at verse 31, what he tells the leaders. Truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Jesus ends this passage letting them know that they're, they're missing it. And before them doesn't mean they've been sent to the back of the line. It, it means instead of you. If you look at the original language, it's not just that they're at the back of the line. They're not even in line. They're not getting it. Look at it this way. If you've ever traveled and you've seen people on standby at the airport. They've got a ticket, but it's not confirmed. They don't have a seat on the flight. And if you've always watched those people, it's the same story every time. They get as close to the ticketing desk as, pro as possible, trying to kind of lean in and almost, I don't want to say intimidate, but urge the people there to get them on the flight. And they stay as close as possible. It doesn't matter how many times the ticketing agent says to them, we'll call your name, just stay in the area. They're so desperate. They're so frustrated. They want to have it their way, and they're looking for that. They recognize they don't have the authority. They want on the flight. They want to have that. They want to be in there, and they're on standby. And Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees and the tax collectors, you think these other people, they're not even on standby. They're not even on the plane. But in fact, you don't even have a ticket. The people you think are good, they might be on standby. The people you think they're horrible, depending on what is happening in their hearts, they're already... They're already set for eternal life, but you guys, you're actually going to miss out. You're going to miss out on all of it. And Jesus is telling them there to consider from an eternal perspective whether or not they're right before God. What is their source of spiritual authority? He's turning the question around on them. The need for a Savior, for the Savior, the one that John the Baptist called them to understand, the one that John cried out to Israel to repent and make straight their paths. He's calling them and he's calling all of us to consider our need to repent of our sins and recognize that we need to have a heart change. We need to have a savior. And he tells this parable with two sons. And much like another parable we've already looked at with two sons, we're going to see both sons in this parable are wrong. At least, they're wrong at first. Both of these sons need to repent. And the father here, once again represented by God, he goes to each son and asks of them the same exact thing. 
he gives them the same command. A very simple story that everyone would have understood. Verse 28, let's look at that. Verse 28, my son, go work in the vineyard today. And Jesus will talk more about vineyards soon enough. But here we see that each son, they get the same orders, the same instructions. And Jesus talks a lot about vineyards and vines and branches in terms of spiritual ministry and work and spiritual life and new life. And without getting too deep into that, I'm sure we all get, if you're a Christian, if you've ever gone to church, you understand Jesus says he's the vine and we're the branches and all these things he talks about. This is wording of life, of vitality, the source and direction of purpose of life, where you get the good stuff to feed your soul. Jesus is He's delving into that, but he's really giving them a simple choice between two sons. And he says to the first son, go. Go work in the vineyard. And yet, there are very different reactions. The first son, again in verse 29. Look what the first son, first son says in verse 29. He answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Now you have to give the first son credit because he was honest and up front, he didn't care about what his father wanted. He just wanted to do it his way. He said, forget it. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want today. Obviously, in our world today, let alone in Jesus' world, in an honor-based society, for that son just to say to his father, no, I don't care what you want. I'm not going to go, was very disrespectful and wrong. And when dad said, jump, you said, how high? That's just what you did. And Yet, this son is honest. He didn't really care, and he just let his dad know it. Imagine who this son would be in our world. It would be so many people that just outright deny Jesus Christ. They don't buy into his spiritual authority. They don't recognize it. He's not the son of God. He's not important. He doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's the default nature of sinful humanity of all of us. Even as we discussed last week, the unrighteous, the unrighteous judge, our default sinful state is not to fear God nor to care for others. That's what sin does. It makes us completely self-centered like we talked about last week. Without getting into too much of the current issues in our world this day, I, I think it's fair to say that some people are very angry and that there's a lack of respect that's prevalent in our nation Many of the issues are perhaps righteous and good issues that we should consider and pray about. And God's word does call us to understand that all people are made in God's image and worthy of love and respect. And even as Jesus is talking about here, of honor. But yet, for whatever unexplained reasons, we have to have a change of heart in our world. And people say, I don't understand that. Now, as a Christian, we say... Well, it's not unexplained at all. We, we know what happens. It's, it's that sin that lives inside of us. But in our world today where people don't believe in right and wrong, let alone in sin, they often say, well, this doesn't make sense. It's, it's almost unexplainable. But yet, in Jesus' world, even where sin was accepted, we understand that we all live for our own purposes, for our own desires. The first son was doing that. And yet, something inexplicably made him change his mind. Something gnawed deep down on his heart and his soul. And for whatever reason, he just changed his mind. He said, you know what? I need to do what my father has said. I need to recognize his authority. And yet, we see that's a total change. He was going one way. He said, I don't care. And then he said, you know what? I need to do it. It's the right thing to do. It's the honorable thing to do. It's the good thing to do. And so he obeys his father. He changes his direction completely. Now, in verse 30, the second son 
does the opposite. And much like the elder brother and the, the prodigal uh, parable that we looked at before, this second son is what we would call a faker or a hypocrite, like we talked about last week. And let's look at verse 30. What did he say? I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. And here we see the heart of how Jesus understands people like us. He really does get us. Jesus understands sinful people like you and me. This guy knew what to say, how to be polite, respectful. He seemed on the surface to be just a wonderful person like the Pharisees that Jesus is going after. Look at how polite he is. Sir, I, I, you know, I got it. I'll take care of that. Don't, don't worry about it, boss. And just like the Pharisees, the, one that Jesus, the ones Jesus will soon call whitewashed tombs, they look all perfect and clean on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. That's in Matthew 22, 27, soon after this, he calls them that. And he goes right after them. And they look good. They talk good. They're slick. And yet Jesus says, you're dead on the inside. Obviously, that's not who we want to be. And this son, he knew all the right moves, all the right words, but he didn't care. Jesus is giving us something to consider. Verse 31, he says to those Pharisees and teachers of the law, to the crowds, he says to us, he says, which of the two did his father's will? And of course, they rightly answered the first one. The first one did. Not the one that talked a good game or looked the part, but not the one had the right words, the right image, the right reputation. None of that mattered. It was the one who did it. The one who changed direction. Didn't do what they wanted to do, but did what the Father commanded. The one who changed what they believed. The one who changed who they followed. Changed whom they obeyed. That's the one. There's a few things we need to grasp here to be completely in understanding of this parable, to, to really grasp it and to really get it. And so in Jesus's day, this idea of being changed by God's grace of being a horrible sinner and having a life transformed in this legalistic culture the Pharisees had created, they, they didn't quite understand this. They didn't quite understand this idea that God would choose the dirty people, the sinful people, the evil people. That's why they scoffed at even people like Matthew, Levi. Uh, you know, this is his gospel we're looking at, who was a tax collector. They, they didn't get it. But what Jesus is saying to the crowds and to them and to us, time and time again, Jesus is saying the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the cross Jesus is about to go to, the purpose of his presence on earth was to redeem us, to save us from our sin, to change our lives and our spiritual destiny, to fundamentally transform those who were broken by sin and obsessed with actually sinning and to set them back on the path where God would have them to be, that they would be obsessed with doing God's will, with loving and serving and recognizing his authority, that they would be made new. And when we're made new, there are obvious changes in our lives. Now, sin may not be completely gone from our appetites overnight, but even when we sin, when God gets a hold of your heart, and maybe this has happened to you, even when you sin, it, it just doesn't satisfy in fact, you may have regret and guilt where you never had it before. And eventually, generally, as God gets more of us, no matter what, we reach a breaking point where we say, I don't want to live this way anymore. 
I'm a, I'm a helpless sinner. God, I need you to transform my life. And the church, we're called to be about that. Lives that are being transformed and lives that are lifting up Jesus and proclaiming him, as we've been talking about, that people would know he's the way to a new life. And that's what Jesus talked about, doing the Father's will, following after him, being made more like God in his image. I love the Christian author Francis Chan, and he talks in his books about how so many Christians in the church, they, they want to appear before Jesus someday, and when they're giving account of their lives, they're going to say, but Jesus, we did lots of Bible studies about how to obey you, and we had lots of talks about how to obey you, and we had lots of signs and t-shirts about obeying you, and Jesus is going to say, that's all well and good, but did you obey me? Did you do it? Did you share the gospel? Did you go out? Did you love and care for people? Did you recognize my authority as your Savior and as your Lord? Did you submit that I would change your life and make you more like me? And for us, friends, that's being more like Jesus. James 2, 4, 14. I'm sorry, 24. I'm sorry, James 2, 24 through 26. We're reminded that Jesus is calling us to a life of faith and faith without action, without works, it's not really faith at all. In fact, much like how Jesus described those Pharisees, it's actually dead. Jesus is saying you have to do something about it. And the Pharisees, I'm sure they thought they were, they thought they were the obedient son. They thought they were the ones that were doing a really good job. And Jesus is telling them, and in essence, he's telling us this day, Ask yourself this question. Are you doing what I have placed you here to do? Are we doing, friends, what God has placed us here to do? The question we must ask ourselves today is not just which son obeyed, but which son are we? That's what we have to answer this day. We'd all like to just announce that we're the one that's doing the good stuff. That's what the Pharisees did. And yet, if you're like me, even as you hear this, as you read the scripture this morning, you, you know that there's something inside of you that tells you you should step back and take inventory of your own life and check and make sure that your desire, not just assume, but make sure that your desire is to serve God with your everything, not just to assume. We can actually step back and we can do that and we can pray and say, God, am I... Am I right before you? Am I, am I really placing you as the authority in my life? And friends, that's a, that's a really good thing when we pray that prayer. It's a great thing. What do we take from this today then? What is God teaching us? As we struggle to obey and be those ones with changed lives who are seeing God at work, and as the ones who are going where God calls us so that he can use us and our changed lives to change lives, that's what we've been learning this year. That's that call to be a servant when we can do that, when we can be God's servants and be those conduits of grace to people around us, how do we make sure we're not just saying, just looking the part like those Pharisees, but doing? Going to God, first of all, each day in humility and asking him, taking that inventory is where we need to start. Jesus is trying to get those Pharisees to check their own lives, to step back just as you may be feeling like I am today, that I need to do that in my life. Not just talking a good game or looking good or giving it lip service, but actually doing God's will. That means we have to know God's will and study God's word and 
Maybe that's morning devotions or reading through the Bible, and we're hoping to get more of that digitally right now with what's going on in the world, but I just want to talk a little bit about that for a minute. I have this patch, and if you've ever seen my backpack or any of the things I carry, I have this on almost every bag I have. This is a, what we call a military morale patch, and it says, doing is greater than talking. And it's a decal I have a few places. It's patches I have on my bags. I even have a t-shirt with this on it. And I'll tell you, doing is greater than talking is something that I've kind of made the motto of my life, particularly in the last year or so. You guys know me. I do a lot of talking. I do too much talking. It's been a problem I've had my whole life. And I talk and I talk too much. And if I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God, which I do a lot as a pastor and just as a Christian, I need to be doing a ton more than I am just talking about it. I've got to be in action, completing the work for the kingdom of God that I've been put here to do. That means I've got to search for it. I've got to look into God's word. I've got to know it. And I've got to remember that I have to pray and seek God and ask for his spirit to guide me. I've got to know him and seek after him. And I need to make sure that I'm making space for God, that I'm listening to him, not just talking to him even, but but listening. And that's why, as we talked about last week, prayer is so important. That's why knowing God's word is so important. But yet I've got to be at work. As a Christian, it's got to change who I am and how I live, not just talking a good game, but doing something about it. And friends, that means we've got to do something gospel. What does that mean? We know the gospel is the good news, that Christ has come to seek and save the lost. That means we've got to be reaching out to people who don't know Christ, that we've got to be loving them the way that Christ has loved us. We've got to be caring for them, meeting needs, and maybe not just spiritual needs. That might be finding some physical needs, some practical needs. We've got to be doing that in the life of the church. We don't need to just be hiding in here in some holy huddle. We've got to be out there and serving in our world. We've got to be serving. Do something gospel. In our world today, friends, so many of us are getting caught up in the noise all around us. Arguments over politics, over principles, over values, on the internet, in person, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that some of those issues don't matter. Please hear what I'm saying. The question is not whether some of those things matter. The question for us today is, who are you following? Who has the ultimate authority in your life? What is the answer to the brokenness in our world that all of these other things are being affected by? Is it Jesus Christ? If you're a Christian, the answer is, Jesus Christ. So the action, the doing, has to be about that good news of the gospel. Our calling is to be willing servants of Jesus first, above all things. He is the sole authority. He's the ones we he's the one we follow. He's the one from whom we determine all those other things in our lives. He commands us, our actions would be deeper than our appearance, that our, our attitudes, the way we treat others, even those with whom we disagree, the way we love others, even those with whom we disagree, can be transformative to draw them in. 
Jesus here is challenging those religious leaders and challenging all of us. He's challenging us to repent of our sinfulness, that our actions would be deeper, deeper than anything else, certainly deeper than our words. Friends, this week, ask yourself some questions. Am I placing God first? Not just what looks good and and how I'm appearing to be, but in the depths of my life. Am I seeking and serving God? Am I placing him first? Am I leading others to know him and to see him as the source of all hope and redemption? Or am I telling somebody around me that there are other things that are actually their source of hope and redemption? What is the ultimate authority, friends, in our lives? To sum it all up, am I doing the will of my Father in heaven? In all things, in what I say, and in what I do, with humility and consistency, is my authority, my Father in heaven, is he my Lord? Am I seeking to live for him? Not just in my talking, but in my doing. Let's pray. Father, in all these things, that we would belong to you, that you would transform our lives, that you would take us, that you would make us your very own, that you would draw us in, and that you would make us new. God, I pray that you would have all of us, that you would use us, that you would make us your people this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.